Please turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I'll read the first three verses of Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I read verse 3 again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Our Father, we have come once again before your word. And as we did in the morning, we rely upon the help of your spirit. That you show us wondrous things in your word. And that through your word, you would bring salvation to the lost. You bring edification to the saints. And that all those who would hear your word, physically or online, will be blessed as a result of the preaching and the exposition of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. We could title the sermon, The Blessedness of Poverty. The Blessedness of Poverty. One thing that um, happens in life and over time is that words die. Words die. In the preface to his book, very popular book, Mere Christianity, written by C.S. Lewis, he began to explain something he had observed that had happened over the years. And it was concerning the word gentleman. And C.S. Lewis said, many years ago, that's when he was writing, was reflecting back, when you say the word gentleman, you were describing a person who had property. So that a gentleman at that time was somebody who had some kind of landed property, maybe in Sun City Estate or somewhere. That's a gentleman. He has something. But over time, people now began to say, we shouldn't restrict the word gentleman to somebody who has a property. Why don't we use the word gentleman to describe somebody who is just, who behaves like somebody who has a property? So back then, a man could be a liar and a gentleman. But over time, a gentleman became somebody who was behaving a certain way. And so the word gentleman, as we have it, has gone through what we call a kind of death or redefinition. So words over time begin to mean different things. So we have to be careful, say, okay, this is not what I am saying. You can see this in some of our Bible translations, can't you? Once upon a time, the KJV had no issues with translating it as brethren. And you just leave it at brethren, and everybody understood. Brethren means brothers and sisters, of course. And then the NIV came around and said, oh, the brothers seems as though the writer is excluding sisters. So let's put it brothers and sisters. But the ESV said, okay, well, let's put it brothers, but let's put a footnote at every time the word brother is mentioned, and put also sisters. So what sort of change over time? And I believe this is what has happened with the word blessed. 
The word blessed has undergone a kind of revolution in the church. To the point that when we say somebody is blessed, we are having something many times that is not what the Bible is saying blessed means. Let me give you an example. If you see a man and they tell you this man is blessed, the first thing that would usually come to our minds is where is his cars? Where does he live? Which houses does he have? And in what location does he have there? So somebody who has a house in VI or Lekki or Mitama is blessed. But that's not how the Bible uses the word blessed. Unfortunately, when we say blessed now, we mean something that is very different from what the Bible says because the word blessed has undergone revolution. It has died, it has resurrected, it has been changed, it has evolved, it has been used in different ways. Or perhaps the way we use the word blessed where we have a kind of emotional catharsis, a kind of emotional experience. Many years ago, for those of you who follow Christian music very closely, a popular Christian musician by the name of Tasha Cobbs decided that it was wise to, is it what would you call it a collab or feature Nicki Minaj on her song. And there was a lot of debate then among people who were in the choir and everybody was arguing. I was arguing with my fellow choristers then. Okay, so is this good? Is this bad? Is this not good? And somebody said, stop arguing. Argument is wrong. I listened to the song and I was blessed. So the word blessed means different things. We, we sort of don't have a kind of agreed upon definition of what the word blessed means. And tonight, as we begin to consider this first beatitude, we must begin, in, must begin by asking ourselves the question, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean, really, biblically speaking, to be blessed? Now, so, translations, like the Good News translation and the Young's Literal translation, translate this word as happy. So they will tell you... Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 is happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this was quite popular in many early translations in the history of the church until a man by the name of John Wycliffe, you might have heard of him, he was sort of like a precursor to the reformers. John Wycliffe, when he got to Matthew chapter 5 and was translating from the Greek to the English, was the first person really the first major translator to just say, this is blessed, not happy. Now there's some trouble if we say that blessedness or to be blessed means to be happy. In the first place, happiness is a purely emotional state. Happiness is a purely emotional state. Happiness is something that happens based on certain characteristics. That's why and being careful. That's why a woman can be happy and unhappy in a period of time. And the first time I saw this with one of our little girls here, I was quite, because the person was just playing, 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 and the next thing, boom, unhappy. Why? Because happiness is just pure emotions. Maybe at the point of happiness, certain things were working well, and then maybe mommy shouted at her, and all of a sudden, she's unhappy. So this is purely, purely subjective. But 
Happiness also, being an emotional and subjective thing, is in varying degrees. So how can Jesus say, happy are those who are this? If you may be happier than I am, but two of us are poor in spirits. My happy, how do I grade that I am pr- properly happy? Or that I am truly blessed if it means happiness? The point I'm trying to make is that happiness is not a good translation of the word blessed. It is bad. The word that is used here is a Greek word which is makarios. You can spell it as M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S. Makarios, whenever Jesus used the word blessed in the text before us, in the entirety of the Beatitude, it was always makarios. The Greek word is makarios. Now, makarios is a multi-flavored word. Now, there are some words that when you begin to get into them, you find out that there's no one meaning. It can mean like one, two, three, four, five, six, sometimes even up to eight meanings associated with one single word. And the problem sometimes for translators is which meaning am I going to choose to translate this particular word? And there are many flavors to the word. But before, I don't need to go into all of the flavors to sort of open up the text for us this evening. But when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he wasn't talking about something subjective. He was talking about something that was purely objective. What's the difference between objective and subjective? If something is subjective, it is largely dependent on how I see it, or how I feel it, or how I experience it. When something is objective, regardless of how I feel, or how I am seeing it, or how I am experiencing it, it is true. That's why sometimes we say objective reality versus subjective reality. Objective reality means black is black. Subjective is, yes, black is black, but I can see it as gray, sort of. So when Jesus was speaking, he was talking about something that was purely objective. So what does it mean to be blessed? To be blessed is to be favored or approved by God. When Jesus is saying, blessed at the point in spirit, Jesus was saying, favored at the pure, at the poor in spirit, he was saying approved are the poor in spirit. Approved by who? Approved by God. So this is one way to understand it. If you ask yourself the question, what does God think of me? If you are in this category that Jesus is speaking about, God approves of you. To be blessed then is to have God see you and God is pleased with who you are. To be blessed is have, to have God look upon you and God gives you a thumbs up and say, you are approved. You are good to go. You are in the right place. Or, as we sometimes put it in our local way, you are doing well. That's what blessed means. That you are approved by God. And again, this is not subjective. I once spoke to a young man, had a conversation with a young man, not very long ago, who was sort of depressed. He was, he was sort of at the end of life. Many things had happened. And he even began to doubt if he was a Christian because of certain external things that had happened to him. Now, in that particular point in time, he's not happy. He's sad. He's broken. He's depressed. But when we look at the scripture, we can objectively say this man is blessed regardless of how he's feeling or regardless of what is happening around him. 
It is on the basis of this then that some translations use the word fortunate. That if somebody has been approved by God, it means that person is fortunate. Think about it this way. That person is advantaged. He or she has something that the neighbor does not have. That person is well-to-do. That person who is blessed is spiritually prosperous. So when you gather 10 people and you say three people are blessed, biblically speaking, it means that these three people have something that is different from whatever these seven people have, regardless of whatever they have. So to be blessed then is to be fortunate. It is also on the basis of this that some translations use it, uh, some translations use the word or the phrase to be envied. Because if I am advantaged, then I am to be the envy of other people, which means people will look at you and say, ah, this person eh, he's privileged. The way some of us look at some, some, the children of some people and say, this one is privileged. That's the same way that Jesus means, uh, that, that's the same way that the Bible uses the word blessed. That this person is privileged, well-to-do, spiritually prosperous, approved of God. It is on the basis of this then that we can say somebody who is blessed is happy. Because when the person now thinks about all of these things, the fact that I am approved of God, the fact that I am fortunate, the fact that I am spiritually rich and prosperous, and I have something that other people don't have, I ought to be happy. So that's the subjective part of it. But we must always put the objective before the subjective. To be blessed is to be favored of God, to be approved of God, to be fortunate, and to be prosperous. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 3 that fortunate are the poor in spirit. He goes on to say, approved by God are the poor in spirit. This is one of those passages of scripture, one of those texts of scripture that have had different meanings over the life of the church. Now, when Luke was recording this same account in Luke chapter 6 verse 20, Luke put it this way, blessed are you who are poor. And now many people in the history of the church began to say what Jesus is doing here is to give an approval to poverty. So that what Jesus is really saying is that in order to be a good Christian, you have to be poor. So let's start by asking what this does not mean. When Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, what is he not saying? Jesus is not talking about being physically poor or deprived. Jesus is not saying that the person who is blessed is a person who has one shirt that he wears, he washes and irons it. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, there is no inherent blessing in being poor. There is nothing inherently good in being poor, not having food to eat. In and of itself, there is nothing inherently good in it. And also, there is nothing inherently sinful in being poor. So being poor in spirit does not mean you are physically out of cash. Because some of us have thought, oh, so whenever I am broke, I'll go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and say, oh, I am blessed. Blessed are those who are poor. And I have seen somebody do that before. That's a gross misunderstanding and misinterpretation of the text. Jesus is not talking about physical poverty. In fact, sometimes those who are physically poor are the ones who, are, who lack any kind of poverty in spirits. 
So we went to do some house knocking yesterday around the estate. And we got somewhere around Congo Crescent. I was with Brofred. And we gave the gate man the letter. The next thing, one woman was shouting at us. That, why are you giving him? I told you I'm the owner of the house. I said, Mother, we did not know you were talking to us. You were, we met you, and you were having a conversation inside your compound. And she just packed. And then I looked at us, looked at her to her. I said, Aha, no wonder somebody can, somebody can shout. Now, most times we say, that rich, that's, why rich, that's how rich people are. Rich people are proud. It's how rich people behave. They just feel like they have everything, they, they don't need anything, so they can talk to people anyhow. Actually, there are poor people who can talk to people anyhow. In fact, there are people who are rich in their poverty. Now, there's this thing that we sort of do in Nigeria that many of us will know about, which is we're trying to argue about who poor pass. So you say, one person will say, oh, when I want shoe, I get to. That person say, I don't even get shoe. Now, palm, I get. Then the third person will say, ah, you even see palm where? I'm, I, now, now, without, now, leg, I use waka for ground. And so people sort of boast in these things who are poor. Poor people boast. Poor people are not poor in spirit inherently. So there's nothing good or bad in physical poverty. And what Jesus is saying here is not physical poverty. There are many reasons why people are poor. One reason why people are poor, people could be poor because of laziness or slothfulness. In Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4, the Bible tells us that a slack hand causes poverty but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So the person who wakes up in the morning and looks up and says, thank you, Jesus, and goes back to sleep, and as a result of that becomes poor, is poor as a result of choice. There's nothing good inside it. Some people are poor as a result of calamity, as a result of things in life that are beyond one's control. For example, there were people in the, that suffered the earthquake in Syria and Turkey who, who were rich in the morning and by the end of the day, they had nothing. There were people when the Ukraine war started who had property and 12 months, 14 months down the line, everything is gone. That's why people are poor. Some people are poor because of parents. Because of the way they were brought into this world. None of us here chose our parents. Sometimes people are brought into homes where the parents are not hardworking, where the parents are lazy. And so people are poor, sometimes because of even neglectful parenting. Parents don't even have your time. They don't take care of you. They don't care if you go to school. So you're not properly educated. So you see how this ripple effect thing works. So you don't go to school. You're not properly educated. When you come out, you cannot do anything. So things that have happened in life make people poor. Some people are even poor because they are born with certain health conditions. I have a friend who is partially blind, a very good friend of mine. And the biggest challenge has been, who will employ a partially blind person in the organization? Who will employ? But is it his fault that he became partially blind? No. He woke up one morning when he was nine. He could no longer see properly. And so they went to hospital upon hospital upon hospital, and they were frequenting hospital for about 15 years, until one eye was even taken out and the other eye is just being barely managed. So there are many reasons why people are poor. There's nothing inherently spiritual in that. Sometimes people are poor because of oppression. Oppression, yes. Sometimes people are poor because one tribe subjugates the other tribe. 
That is real. It is not, it is not a joke. Because one race subjugates another race. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 21, don't we? When Ahab eyed the property of Naboth, Ahab was rich and powerful. And Ahab was sad. And the wife said, why are you sad? Are you not the king? And Ahab went forcefully and took away that thing. So there are many reasons why people come to poverty. And Jesus is not saying it is the poor people who are deprived of certain things physically that are blessed. In the time when monasteries were very, very popular, when you want to join a monastic order, you make a vow of three things. First of all, you make a vow of chastity. That is, you are not going to have sex, you are not going to have sexual relations with them. A vow of chastity. You make a vow of obedience. The third thing you must make a vow is a vow of poverty. Because they thought that there is something inherently spiritual in being poor. So that if you are poor and you don't have food to eat, you don't have clothes, you are closer to God. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not also saying that to be poor in spirit is to suppress oneself. Now, I grew up in a church tradition where there's a lot of sa and ma and a lot of bending of back. So if you see somebody coming, you don't greet like this, you greet like this. So some people, over time, their backs, the, the back structure, the spinal cord has been, it has been changed to like this. And so you say that is what it means to be poor because you are lowly. So Martin Lloyd-Jones tells of a story in one of his sermons of how he went to preach somewhere. He was supposed to preach on the Sunday. And on the Saturday when he arrived at the train station, they sent somebody to pick him up. And this man was like, let me, let me put it in a Nigerian way. Welcome, sir. Yeah, welcome, sir. Good to have you, sir. God bless you, sir. Give me your Bible, sir. I said, sir, I'm a nobody, sir. I'm a no, they, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not anybody. I'm just here to serve, sir. I'm a deacon, but in my church, there's nothing. There's nothing they give me. There's nothing. I'm just so lowly and I'm so humble. That's not what poverty of spirit is. When somebody is trying to show that he's poor in spirit by suppressing certain things about himself or herself, that's not poverty in spirit. In fact, some people apply this to how they talk. So whenever people are talking, you don't see somebody quiet. You say, don't you have anything to say? Mm, 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 mm. As well. And some people do that. I'm not talking about temperaments now. Some people do that because they are, they are saying that that is what poverty of spirit means. Some people try to disappear even sometimes. That when, they are, when people are talking, I don't want to be seen. I just want them to finish. They should come out and tell me what to do. Let me go and sweep. Let me go and cut the grass. Let me go and, and say that is poverty in spirit. That is not what poverty in spirit means. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, first of all, Jesus is talking about an inward quality. It is not necessarily something outward. Yes, it will show outwardly, but you must begin from here that it is an inward quality. Before poverty of spirit is seen outwardly, it must be an inward reality. In the heart of a person, a person is poor in spirit. It is not to sell all your belongings. Have you heard this before? Now, once upon a time when the Lord was dealing with me, he told me that I should not have more than two trousers and one shirt. And so I do this, wash and wear, wash and wear, wash and iron. Well, I've heard that a lot of times. If it is not inward, that's not poverty of spirit. If it's merely outward, trying to conform to a kind of moral standard or a moral code that shows spirituality, 
That's not poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit is what we see in Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. To be lowly of heart. First of all, it is something that is inward. And to go further, to be poor in spirit is to realize and acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy. It is to come to the realization that when it comes to spiritual things, I am bankrupt. Now, bankruptcy is something that happens in the world of finance where you are so broke, you are like, you are broke and broke, you have nothing at all, everything is gone, and then you go and you declare bankruptcy so that you can get the court to tell the people you are owing that, sorry, this guy is so broke, he cannot pay you. Can you wait for longer? Can you wait for this period of time because of his current condition? It is to realize that I have nothing. That there is nothing inherently in me that can make me special or that currently makes me special before God. So that when I stand before God, I recognize that I am truly and utterly empty. I have nothing. I have nothing. You know, if you buy a rocket for a child, maybe one of these boys here, maybe Bishop, and you give him a rocket, in the first few days that that rocket is there, it is like, I have a rocket. And then children will go all around shouting, I have a rocket. My daddy bought me a rocket. Do you have a rocket? No, you don't have a rocket. I have a rocket. And then when children are playing and you hear what they say, you think this person, you bring out your car now. Which car? Just a small, tiny thing that you just roll and it runs across the ground and everything. Now imagine the Lord blesses you as a parent and you take your child to Elon Musk's, Elon Musk's factory where he is building rockets, real rockets. The first thing that child will do is to look at it and say, I know, I have nothing. This is what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 3. That when I look at Christ, I have nothing. If I'm going to do a kind of a comparison system, and I am looking at myself, and I am looking at who God is, the triune holy God, I have absolutely nothing in me that can commend me to him. It is to look at ourselves and say, oh, my degree is nothing. It does not commend me to God. I absolutely have nothing. It is to say like the, the hymn writer, Augustus Stop Lady, that nothing in my hand I bring. Really, because I have nothing in my hand that I can bring simply to thy cross I cling. It is to realize that I am nothing. Not just that I have nothing, but that I am nothing. Remember the story of Israel. In Judges chapter 6, when the Lord appeared before Gideon by his angel and told Gideon the things that he was going to do, the response of Gideon was, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That is what poverty of spirit means. To be like Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 when he was planning to meet Esau and he says, 
Oh God of my Father, I am not deserving of the least of your mercies which you show unto me. It is to realize that I am nothing. I am empty. There's nothing special about me. Yes, I may come from a royal family, but to be poor in spirit is to realize that when I look at God, when I look at his law, when I look at his standard, that my royalty means nothing. That my accumulation, those my companies are nothing, I am nothing. It is also to realize that I can do nothing. Sometimes we think that the way we come to God is by commending ourselves by the things we do. Poverty of spirit recognizes that when it comes to God, I can do nothing. Not the labor of my hands. Not even the best labors of my hands. I could do, I can do a lot of things actually. But when I finish doing them, I realize that none of them can fulfill thy law's demands. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. To realize that I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing. To be poor in spirit is to come to a point of realization of spiritual need. That because I am empty and void, I need all things. You know, this is countercultural. Because our culture tells you that the moment you begin to feel that you, you, need, you, you are in need of something, boost yourself up. So there's a popular song that trended a few years ago by an artist called Tatiana Monaios, where she said, baby, you are strong. You are wise. You are worth beyond a thousand reasons why. You can't be perfect, blah, 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 blah. You know what the world tells you? The moment you begin to feel as though you are nothing, you are something. That's what the world does. The world says, build up your self-esteem. How can you say you, you are beautiful, you are wonderful, just the way you are? But have you realized that that's not how the Bible puts it? Anytime somebody comes to the point where they say, I am as nothing, God never says, you are something. Never. In Isaiah, when God was speaking, he says, thou warm, Jacob. Yeah, you have come to realization you are nothing. But yes, I want you there. The solution to lack of self-esteem, according to the Bible, is not boost yourself up. When we come to the point where we begin to realize our needs, that we are not sufficient, we are not enough, it is easy to run and start saying, okay, how can I be enough? How can I do, do this? According to Jesus, it is good to be powerless. According to Jesus, it is good to come to the realization that I am weak. According to Jesus, it is good to know that I am empty. According to Jesus, it is good to see myself as spiritually bankrupt. In a real sense, everybody is poor in spirit. Everybody is poor. In a sense, everybody is poor. Because nobody really has anything. There is no single human being on earth that can come before God and say, Dear Lord, I come before you because I am something. I'm a very good man. We saw that in the parable that Jesus gave, or the story Jesus gave about the tax collector and the Pharisee. There is no man who can really come before God and say, Lord, I have done such and such and such and such, and be commended before God. There's no man who can come before God and say, Lord, I, I, I do things. I, I fast twice a week. I give my tithes regularly. 
In fact, over the past five years, I've elevated my tithe. I no longer give 10%. I give 50%. Jesus is saying, that's not it. It is good to be poor, to be abased, to be brought low. Friends, poverty of spirit is a precursor to faith. I'm speaking to the person who has not come to Christ. Don't look for methods. That's what the world will tell you. The moment you feel like, oh, something is wrong with me, don't look for methods. And the interesting thing about this is, really, something may actually be wrong with you. You may have a physical defect on your face, or you may have had an accident that makes you speak a certain way, do things a certain way. You may have a health condition that makes you look uh, unappealing to people. You may have something in your life that is making people say, Something is wrong somewhere. Perhaps you are coming to that realization and you are not saved. You are beginning to be awakened to this realization that I am not enough. You have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, but you are seeing that I am not enough. You must turn to Christ. In Matthew chapter 15, Matthew records a story for us of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. And Jesus was really trying to test her faith. And says, the, the things that are meant for children are not to be given to dogs. And the woman said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs, what falls off from the table of the children. And Jesus told her, oh great, how great is your faith? Because she brought herself low. She had gotten to the point where she couldn't even tell Jesus, why am I not a child? Yes, I am a dog. I agree. I am absolutely nothing. In the scale of things, the children of Israel are the children of promise, and I'm a Canaanite. I'm a Gentile. Yes, I am what you say I am. And Jesus said, how great is your faith? Poverty of spirit is the precursor to faith. Which means if you've never gotten to the point where you have been abased and been brought low, perhaps you have not gotten to Christ yet. Perhaps you have not exercised faith in Christ yet. Because to come to Christ is to be poor in spirit. There is no way man can come to Christ and put his faith or her faith in Christ without this poverty that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And even when you are a Christian, the mark of a Christian is continual, progressive poverty of spirit. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, when he begins to write, he, he, he tells you certain things about him. But towards the end of his life, so the last two letters that the Apostle wrote was First and Second Timothy. And in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, a man who had labored for many years, who had planted churches, who was known all over Asia Minor, who was known perhaps all over Europe at that time, a man whose influence had spanned many nations and many tribes and many people could still tell to Timothy, could still tell Timothy, I am the chief of sinners. I have worked with the Lord for this long and I have done this and I have done that, but this saying is true. I, Paul, am the chief of sinners. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, he began to talk about how he came to encounter the Lord. And he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any other of the apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. 
It's as though Paul was about to say, oh yes, I've done a lot of things. But he said, ah, no, 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 no. I have to take a step back. It's God's grace. It's none of me. I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing. Everything that the Lord did through me was God's grace working out in my life. And it's only when we are poor in spirit that can, we, we can see any kind of growth. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus was speaking to the Laodicean church. You know what those guys thought? They thought we are rich. We have everything. We have need of nothing. And Jesus called that folly. Because when you look closely, you will see that you are poor, you are wretched, you are, you, are, you are empty. There is no way we can grow if we are not poor in spirit. And yet somebody is asking, how can I be poor in spirit? Okay, yes, I've heard that poverty in spirit means I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing, and it's a realization of need, a realization of spiritual bankruptcy. But how can I be poor in spirit? According to the Bible, the way to be poor in spirit is to cease to look at yourself. The large precursor, the, 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 the large, um, the, the, the thing that is really an obstacle to poverty of spirit is that we are obsessed with ourselves. We look too much at ourselves. We look too much at our achievements. You wake up in the morning and you look at your mirror. Ah, I find. You wake up and you look at all your achievements. Yeah, you go to LinkedIn and see, ah, I did 10 degrees in five years. I have done all of these things. I've been able to build this house. I've been able to achieve this. That's not the way. That's the, that's the thing that stops us from being poor in spirit. And according to the Bible, the solution to this problem is to look to Christ. It is when we look to Christ that we understand how poor we really are. That's why the hymn writer could say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face. And the writer said, and the things of earth, when you begin to look upon Jesus, when you turn your gaze from yourself and your accomplishment and your life, and you look at Jesus, they will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is what the, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, what he saw, what, what he encountered in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the glory of Christ, he says, Woe is me, for am I am a man with unclean lips, and I live among an unclean people. He couldn't say that while he kept looking at himself. It was when he saw the glory of Christ, the glory of this one, that he realized that. It was until when Paul understood in Philippians chapter 3, and he saw the supreme glory of who Christ was, that he said, okay, guys, look at, look at me. I have this, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, properly trained, I'm a Pharisee, look at my achievement, but all of these things, when I look at Christ and I consider the, super, the surpassing worth of knowing him, I count them as cow sheets, as dung. It, it, it's something that I cannot even bring into my house to stay on my shelf. It's something that perhaps if a cow passes in front of my house and drops that thing, I will try to get it off as soon as possible. It is something that maybe I'm coming back home from work or I went out to buy something and my leg just accidentally steps on it and I bring it home. I won't even rest until I go and clean it off. And when he looks at Christ, he says, all of these things, he's not, he's not saying I don't have them. They are true. I'm this, I'm that. I'm, I'm, I'm properly educated. I'm a student of the law, properly trained. I'm a Pharisee. When it comes to keeping of the law, blameless. But he said, 
I count all of these things as dung. I know no better way to be poor than by gazing and meditating upon the beauty and the glory of Christ. And this is what God says will characterize the lives of those who are in his kingdom. That we are poor in spirits. But Jesus also gives us the consequence. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying the only people that have this kingdom of heaven are those who are poor in spirit. Put it this way. Those and those only who have the kingdom of heaven are those who are poor in spirit. Those who are proud, those who are lofty, those who are lifted up in their own eyes, those who boast in their achievements, those who sort of see themselves as something before God, those who try to commend themselves to God by how much they fast, by how much they pray, by how much they give, by how much things they can do, those who do those things do not have the kingdom of God. It is those who are based, who have come to the realization that they are really nothing and that they are spiritually bankrupt. It is those and those only that have the kingdom of heaven. It is those and those only who have the reign and rule of Christ in their hearts. It is those and those only who know of the working of the spirit of God in their hearts. It is those and those only who know something of the saving and transforming grace of God, those who are poor in spirit. And it is only those who are poor in spirit who will inherit the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God has both a present reality and there's a future aspect of God's kingdom. It is only those who have hope, those who are poor in spirit. And it is because of this then that regardless of what I am going through, regardless of how difficult my life is, regardless of whether I have or I don't have, whether I'm healthy or I'm not healthy, whether I have marital issues, I don't have marital issues, whether I have children, I don't have children, whether I have money, whether I have nothing or I have... Nothing matters anymore. If I am poor in spirit, I can be glad. That's where that transition comes into play. That those who are poor in spirit can be happy. We can be glad, we can be cheerful. And as we step into the new week, we can approach life with joy. You know, there's this thing that happens to us when life breaks us down. And then you come to the office on Monday morning and your face is like this. And you go about your entire week and your face is like this. Okay, what's happening now? You say, life harder. Life harder. Well, those who are poor in spirit, because they come to this realization that they have the kingdom of God, that they have God himself, they can rejoice. They can be glad. They can be cheerful. They can meet whatever challenges that comes to them in the course of life. And Jesus says that these people are the ones who are approved of God and are truly blessed. So I want you to ask yourself then, am I poor in spirit? And if I am not, I can go to God and ask him for this poverty, this true poverty that marks God's people. Let's pray. And so, Lord, as we look at this quality of poverty and as we consider the blessedness of being poor, Lord, make us poor. We ask that you'd rid us of our pride, rid us of our confidence in self, of our confidence in our abilities. Help us to get to the point where we know we are spiritually bankrupt 
and help us to stay there. May we not be too quick to motivate ourselves, to boost ourselves, to raise ourselves and say, oh, but you are, you are better than this. May our realization of poverty drive us further and further into you. And may we know of the joys of your kingdom in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.